everybody, and welcome to Explain It To Me Like I'm a 10-Year-Old. Today, I am very lucky to have Grant Berman with me, the co-founder and managing partner of Berman Capital. Along with his late brother, Daryl Berman, Grant founded Berman Capital in 1991. Berman is a middle market private equity firm that invests in buyouts of growth companies. I'm so excited for our interview today. I think Grant's entrepreneurial journey is one of the most unique I've ever heard, as he's built his firm into a market leader. Hi, Grant. How are you doing today? Terrific. Thank you. How are you doing, Charlie? I'm doing great. I'm so excited uh, to get this interview rolling. Okay, so, you know, to kick things off, my uh, first question for you is, you know, how did the idea for Berman Capital first get planted in your head? Charlie, I remember the day very well. I was living in South Africa with Daryl. We stood high up on a hill on our house overlooking a beautiful valley and we looked north. North was always the place where adventure lay. The Okavango Delta, the Zambezi Valley, places that we used to go to visit game. And Daryl had his arm around my shoulder. He's on my right-hand side. And as we looked north, he said to me, Grant, one day we're going to live in America. And I said, yes, hopefully we'll be able to live in the same city so that our kids can grow up. And then I turned to him and I said to him, and one day we're going to go into business together. Charlie, I was 10 at the time and Daryl was 13. That's when the seeds of Berman Capital were planted. Man, that's, 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 that's awesome. That is so cool. You're so young and you're still like, you know, having that entrepreneurial dream. So my next question for you is, you know, can you tell us about the story of when you actually decided to start the company? And, you know, what were those first steps that you took? Well, first of all, we had this dream for a long time. And in the summer of 1990, we began to implement it in earnest which meant that we put together a business plan and a very thoughtful way that we might approach investors with the idea of starting a private equity firm. Then as the year unfolded, this became crystallized into a document that we felt comfortable with. February 4th, 1991 was two weeks into the Gulf War, the first Gulf War, and we were in a pretty difficult recession. But Daryl and I decided that that was the time for us to start our firm. And so we both resigned on that day and uh, began our journey. Mm -hmm. So, you know, after you resigned, were there any other first steps that you took to start the business? There were a couple of first steps. We did want to get people who we knew, investors, And so we began to speak to them about the possibility of participating in what we described as a strategic entrepreneur fund, which was a fund that was comprised of people whom we knew well and would be uh, along with, would invest alongside the main fund that we ultimately raised. We also very much wanted to have a placement agent represent us. And so we approached an individual by the name of Phil Poole, who was a senior managing director at Merrill Lynch with a view of possibly taking our project on. 
And so those were the kinds of first steps that we took to enable us to get started. One other thing that I should mention as well, uh, we had a very good friend by the name of Michael Gleason, who was a partner at Coopers and Library. And he told us that he would be more than happy to have us incubate our startup in Coopers. And that was a perfect place to start a firm because you could have accounting advice and various other forms of administrative advice readily available. We thought we'd be there for six months and it turned out we were there for over two years. They did not charge us a penny for all of that ancillary work and occupancy that they provided. I can report to you though, that 31 years later, PricewaterhouseCoopers remains our auditor. So I think from their standpoint, that was a good decision to support us when we were a startup. So can you tell us a bit more about your uh, late brother and partner, Daryl? Just give us a bit more color on like who he was as a person, and, you know, how he helped you grow your business. Uh, absolutely. Uh, firstly, Daryl and I were very close. Uh, we went hunting and fishing together. We uh, went on vacations together. And so we really shared similar values. We shared similar ideas and certainly similar dreams. Daryl uh, went to uh, Stanford Business School and then worked for the Ford Motor Company for a while. He then went to Citigroup where he was stationed in London for seven years uh, and actually worked for Bill Comfort, who was a very well-known business executive under whose tutelage many private equity firms uh, were founded. Uh, and then he went on to Wertham, Wertham Schroeder, where he was involved in a number of transactions uh, on the M&A side, and he led their most successful buyout of a music publishing company called uh, Chapel. In terms of Daryl's personality, he was uh, a consummate people's person. He was a superb negotiator and would always do the heavy lifting when it came to convincing entrepreneurs to work with us. I was a little different in that I came from a very rigorous analytical background, particularly during my time at BCG, Daryl was interested in knowing that something worked. I was a little bit more interested in understanding how it worked, but that was a contrast that enabled us to be a very good team as we moved forward. Daryl was very good at fundraising and laid the building blocks and foundation for the success of the firm early on. Mm -hmm. So can you tell us a bit more about the early days of Berman Capital? You know, obviously you were had a, you were, you worked with in this incubator, but you know, it's always really scary quitting your job, starting a new thing. Can you just tell us about what happened? Well, it was uh, always difficult to uh, start a journey, but uh, the longest journey starts at a single step. And we knew that uh, we needed to take risk in, order to accomplish something in the entrepreneurial world. Uh, it was not easy to do. Overcoming inertia is always very difficult. When Daryl and I first uh, approached the institutional market, 
and we flew all over the world trying to get support for our firm. Some people were very skeptical about two brothers working together. Others thought that it was a great idea and could see that we could be a partnership that could ultimately prevail in the marketplace. It was difficult, however, though, because we needed to speak to an awful lot of investors. And I remember having in that first fundraise about 140 meetings all over the world. There was one particular group that uh, was infamous at Berman Capital and it'll give you an idea as to just how frustrating it is to be an entrepreneur. This group had 10 meetings with us in different places, in Europe, in the US, uh, in New York, in San Francisco, 10 meetings. And eventually they turned us down and couldn't really understand why. And so we asked them why they turned us down after all of this time. And they told us that we were a first time fund. And I remember turning to Daryl and saying, I wonder which of the 11 meetings we had with them, that they figured that out. Very frustrating. Yeah, I'll, there's so many challenges that come with being a brand new fund. Can you go into a bit more detail about you know those challenges of bringing those more those first investors? And can you also tell us about those first investors that were really pivotal into starting your growth? Sure. Well, it's difficult. The people who uh, came into our fund uh, were CalPERS. Hamilton Lane was a gatekeeper that brought them in together with a variety of others, New York State. So they found, were the foundation of our institutional base. And when we began, uh, some of the challenges were very basic. Certain uh, limited partners were very skeptical about whether we could actually find good deals. Others wondered whether once we had left Morgan Stanley and Wertham, whether we could actually have sufficient credibility with banks to get financings for the companies that we were buying. And so we had to make sure that we had a good base of institutional investors who could grow with us and create in the minds of institutional investors that we were capable of executing our strategy. And that's how we began. Yeah, you know, how did you pitch to these investors? Like, what, what do you think made you different? Well, in the early days, what we did was to put a strategy together that articulated our investment program. And it was essentially the following. There were venture capital firms in the industry that were investing in high technology businesses that were high growth and they were typically minority investors. And then there were private equity firms that were buying companies, if you will, rust belt companies that were low growth and could be leveraged. Uh, they typically took a control position in them, but they were very different businesses. We found our niche in between those two areas. Businesses that had the perception of technology so that the 
private equity firms wouldn't be interested in them because if you mix leverage and technology, that was a recipe for failure. And venture capital firms wouldn't necessarily be interested in them because you were applying leverage to the capital structure. So the businesses that we found interesting early on were those that fell between what was interesting to venture capitalists on the one hand and private equity firms on the other. So can you tell us about, you know, you've been running Berman Capital for 30 years. You know, how did the firm evolve from your original vision to where it is today? Well, we had a very uh, slow start and then an exponential start. So the first fund we raised was done in two stages. We raised a $67 million fund and then did a rights offering, which meant we gave everybody in the fund an opportunity to come back in and ultimately raised $123 million. And then we raised a $500 million fund and then a $1.2 billion fund. So that was an exponential growth from a slow start. We opened an office in San Francisco in 1996 and felt that it was important for us to have a footprint both in Silicon Valley where technology companies were uh, thriving and a base in New York where we were close to the financial community. So I know Berman Capital focuses on defense and aerospace. So what really led you to focus on that sector? Well, let me describe to you how our strategy evolved. In the early days, we actually had two prongs to our strategy. One was to invest in late stage venture deals. And the other was to invest in growth buyouts. And the growth buyouts were those, as I described earlier, that would be interesting to a special group of people who understood technology and the ability to leverage businesses rather than the Rust Belt folks. So we started by uh, investing in expansion capital deals on the one hand, late stage venture and buyouts in the other. And we felt that it was very important to have domain expertise. And so we began to consider defense and aerospace as being a very important part of our strategy because on the one hand, it had a different cycle to traditional businesses. Namely, it was not tied to GDP growth. It was tied to spending on defense. And so in a recession, that would be a business that could do very well. And so over time, our strategy evolved from those two prongs that I described into just one prong. We decided not to participate further in expansion capital deals, late stage venture, instead focused on growth buyouts in three sectors actually, defense and aerospace, healthcare services, and specialty manufacturing and distribution. And from the initial deals that we did, we were able to garner some defense expertise and one deal led to another until eventually, now some 25 years later, we have a deep exposure to many businesses in the defense and aerospace area. Mm-hmm. So starting 
a private equity firm in the 90s was obviously during a recession. It was obviously a great decision. At that time, it was not the, a really big sector, and then it grew a ton to today. You know, how do you think luck played a role in how successful uh, your firm became? You, you know, it's uh, interesting when you, you think about the definition of luck. Uh, when preparation meets opportunity, that's when you're lucky. And I like to think of our preparing really well and being given the opportunity and therefore we were lucky. What I can tell you is this, Charlie, back in 1991, when we raised our fund, some $8 billion was raised by the entire industry. Today, many times more capital than that are found in a single fund. So if you think about how the industry itself evolved, back in those days, having capital was a competitive advantage. Today, having capital is nothing more than table stakes for participating in private equity. So one needed to develop a story, both with limited partners who understood the differentiation that the firm had, and then with the private equity community. And that involved banks, it involved entrepreneurs, so that when we came to a, a situation, they could understand that we had expertise and could help them grow and therefore wanted to partner with us. Hmm. So I know you love being out in nature and you love going on adventures with your family. You know, what have, what have, been, what have been some of the, your favorite expeditions that you've took part in? Well, there have been many. We've done uh, a variety of uh, expeditions, uh, fishing, hunting in different parts of the world. Perhaps one that is most memorable to me is an expedition that I led in 1983 into the Amazon. Uh, there was a Stone Age tribe by the name of the Warani who uh, were living uh, in very uh, unacculturated circumstances. And we teamed up with the uh, American Museum of Natural History. And I recruited a team from the Natural History Unit of the BBC, the folks that worked with David Attenborough. And we launched an expedition into the Amazon in Ecuador and made a documentary called Nomads of the Rainforest, uh, which was a PBS Nova special. And we worked very closely with Bob Carnero, who was the curator of South American ethnology at the Museum of Natural History and donated hundreds of artifacts, many of which are on permanent exhibit now. Mm -hmm. So how do you think the, all the travel you've done has impacted your business life? Well, I think that when my kids were young, uh, I was not always there uh, when I should be for them. Uh, but that was part of uh, what we needed to do in order to get the firm uh, up and running. Uh, but I think the travel simply uh, was part of what was necessary, uh, particularly during periods of fundraising where it was extensive and all over the world, in order to get the foundation laid for building the uh, company. Mm -hmm. So after you know 30 years of running Bourbon Capital, what do you think are some of the biggest lessons that you've learned, you know, either from building your own businesses 
or from the businesses that you've uh, invested in? Well, there are a couple of things that I have learned and let me try to describe it in two areas. One would be investment philosophy and the other would be on the personal side. In terms of the investment philosophy, we did evolve, as I indicated before, away from expansion capital investing and more toward growth buyouts. We also uh, wanted to make sure that we invested in secular growth businesses rather than cyclical businesses, companies that had a very good actuarial profile and businesses that had the opportunity to grow rapidly. Uh, I think one of the things that I have learned is that you have to plan for unforeseen circumstances. You've got to learn to look around corners. You've got to be proactive instead of reactive. And importantly, I think you have to do what uh, people in football do. Uh, you have to develop a playbook. And you have to be religious in executing that playbook. And we spend a lot of time doing that. Our playbook needs to, by its definition, be multi-dimensional. You can't just do one thing in order to improve a business. You've got to do many things. It needs to be analytically rigorous. You've got to have a mentality of continuous improvement. And it's got to be both effective and replicable. And if you do all of those things, you can drive consistent returns. Another thing that I've learned is that bull markets make you a lot, look a lot smarter than you actually are. And recessions make you look a lot dumber than you actually are. And you have to be humble during business cycles and appreciate what you are doing and how you are doing it. And insightful and thoughtful and a steady hand at the tiller. So I think those are some of the investment philosophy ideas that I've learned. On the personal side, I think one needs to be collaborative. Uh, you need to be willing to share credit. There is no limit to what you can accomplish if you are prepared to share credit. You've got to lead from the front and you've got to be humble. This is a business that is populated by really extraordinary entrepreneurs and much of the credit goes to them. We are participants, we're partners, but we are not running the businesses in which we invest. And I think perhaps more than anything else, one has to be disciplined. In the hurly-burly of business, particularly in ebullient markets, you tend to drop your defenses. And that's when mistakes are made. If I go back and think about some of the best investments we've made, they have been in the worst economic times, in recessions, largely because our defenses are up rather than down during those periods. In great markets where you have just sold a company and made a lot of money, you tend to drop your defenses and so have the potential to stumble into mistakes that you could have otherwise avoided. Mm -hmm. That was incredible. Thank you so much. You know, those lessons are really powerful and I, I really hope I can use those in my life. And uh, my, 
my entrepreneurial pursuits. So my final question for you today is what would your advice be to those 10 and 13 year olds standing on that hill, dreaming of starting a business together? Just do it. Charlie, the ideas of being an entrepreneur are cultivated over time. And one of the things that is really difficult to do is to take that first step. Perhaps it's because you are afraid of failing. Perhaps it's because you don't think that you are well enough prepared. Perhaps it's because you are secure in a position and don't want to leave that security to go out on your own. But what I can tell you is that when you do take that step as an entrepreneur, you begin one of life's great journeys. And in my case, it's been one of the most rewarding experiences I could possibly have had. So I would say to those 10 and 13 year olds, think carefully, plan assiduously, and then just do it. Thank you so much for being here. I really, really enjoyed this interview. Thank you, Charlie. Much appreciated.